0: Gilman Scholars, this is your captain speaking. Get ready for takeoff. Hello, listeners, and happy Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, as well as Military Month. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the A. Gilman Podcast. I'm excited to introduce not one, but two very special guests for this month's episode. But before we welcome them on, I'm here to remind you all to please leave a review, give us five stars, you know the drill, if you've enjoyed our previous episodes. Or if it's your first time joining us, welcome, it's great to meet you. And let us know what topics you want covered in future episodes by leaving us a review. Now today, I am joined by Gilman alumna Jacqueline, co-host of the How Do We Not Know That? podcast and current software engineer, as well as Gilman alumnus Ryan Hung, current program manager, and is soon to start his master's program in performance studies in the fall. But I want to give them a chance to brag and introduce themselves, so please take it away, Jacqueline and Ryan. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks, Sarah, for having us. That was a really good intro, by the way. You've like mastered the podcast voice.
0: Oh shucks! Um, Thank you.
1: But yeah, like Sarah said, my name's Jacqueline. Um, some of you guys might know me as Jack from the How Did We Not Know That podcast. And yeah, I am working as a software engineer in San Francisco right now. And I studied abroad in 2017 on the Gilman Scholarship to South Korea
2: yes thank you for having us sarah i'm really excited today to be here with jack as well i'm ryan as sarah mentioned i'm currently a program manager and i am an artist working in a variety of mediums including theater dance music comedy and i was a posse scholar at grinnell college where i completed my b.a in theater and dance and that was when I also was a Gilman Scholar and studied abroad in South Korea in 2017 as well.
0: This is such a special opportunity for our listeners to learn about um, two very different academic tracks taken in the same country through the Gilman Scholarship. I mean, Jack, for one, you were studying abroad as a STEM student and Ryan as this um, arts-humanities hybrid. Um, but at what points during your undergraduate experience did you realize that studying abroad would benefit you in your, cor- in your courses at your home institution?
2: I, um, I actually wanted to go and study abroad even prior to college. I was always extremely interested in escaping my world, I guess, so to speak, my hometown. And I chose to go to school miles and miles away uh, from <laughs> California in the rural Midwest. And so I was always curious about that type of exploration and cultural exchange and cultural immersion. And so I knew from the beginning that I wanted to study abroad.
1: Wow, I really resonate with that completely. Brian, are you from the Midwest or are you from California?
2: I'm from California.
1: Okay, so I'm from the Midwest. So I also grew up (laughs) wanting to leave my hometown. I'm from rural Ohio and I am also mixed. So I grew up having part of my family from Ohio, part of my family from Malaysia. And so even from a really young age, I just realized that there's so much more out there to learn and explore. And there's so many people to meet. And I always wanted that for myself. So going to college, I just knew that I was going to study abroad at some point.
0: What challenges, if any, did you face when selecting comparable courses, departments, programs, um, community involvement opportunities, anything really within your academic fields. I imagine, Jack, studying in STEM, you probably had a lot of challenges there. But Ryan, I, I would also love to hear about your process of um, selecting your courses of studies since I know that Grinnell College has a very unique um, academic structure. And I want to know how that related over to your study thought experience.
1: Yeah, so for me, studying STEM, I got a lot of pushback. And also, I wrote a whole article on... How I plan my study abroad as a STEM uh, student so I'm happy to link that below for anyone who's interested in that and having issues with figuring out how to plan their study abroad but as a computer science major basically no computer science majors choose to study abroad so my issue was having I'm sure Ryan you know as well you have to get your courses pre-approved before you study abroad if you want them to count towards graduation and so in order to get them pre-approved, you have to have the computer science teachers sign off on it. And a lot of them just didn't know what I was trying to do, so they wouldn't sign off. And then, yeah, it was just difficult with that and getting pushed back in that retrospect. And I felt like there just wasn't a path, a clear path for STEM students to study abroad when I was trying to.
2: Mm. Um, I was very fortunate that my situation was quite the opposite of that in terms of the flexibility I was given at Grinnell. Uh, Grinnell, first of all, has an open curriculum, so there are no general requirements. And you take whatever you want, you explore what you don't know, you explore what you're curious about. And so I very much knew that studying abroad in South Korea was not going to be related to my major. And it was through my great interest of language learning prior to my study abroad experience that would gear me towards going there. And so my pitch to the school was I will be there for studying Korean further and uh, immersing myself in and inculcate myself into that environment as an enriching experience that I can bring back to the school. And uh, they were fine with that. I do want to know also for you,
0: Jack, what then would you recommend, I guess, elaborate more on the article you mentioned, because obviously our listeners can read it later, but actually, please do listeners, because I'm definitely going to read it later. Um, what do you then recommend if it's challenging for these STEM students who want to go abroad but don't have necessarily the administrative support to do so? How do you recommend in terms of finding those resources and that support to make either applying for the Gilman Scholarship or applying for study abroad in general possible?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Basically, just be stubborn. You need to be stubborn when you're in your home country and flexible when you're out of the home country. So for me, I remember there's one professor in particular who would not sign off on my course. And what I did was I just came to his office hours like unannounced, like surprise, hey, and I had the papers for him to sign for me to, you know, get everything approved. I basically just bickered for like an hour and then he shooed me out. But then then I went to like other different resources. So I talked directly to like my CS advisors. I talked to the study abroad office. I talked to my advisors from uh, the country that I wanted to go study abroad, the university I was planning to study abroad and just tried to get as much done as possible. And eventually someone did sign off. So I was good on that. But then even so, if you're trying to maintain your degree requirements or achieve your degree requirements while you're abroad, you have to be flexible because when you go to any university, it's going to be the same with classes filling up or maybe the class is not what you expected and you don't want to take that when you get there. So I actually had gone to Korea with intention to take zero computer science courses because I was scared that I wasn't because I was, I was studying abroad at Korea University, which is a top university in Korea and There's that stereotype that Asians are very good at math and sciences and they're very intense. So I was really nervous about that. But um, because of scheduling, I ended up having to take three out of four courses being computer science. And- Oh my goodness. I know, And I was so stressed about it, but I am really glad I did because that helped me understand um, that colleges are kind of the same, like calculus is calculus wherever you take it and it's not gonna be more intense. In asia than it is in america um, so i'm glad it worked out that way and it was it ended up being fine but you do have to go in understanding that your full expectations of classes might not be met
0: um, and that's just a sacrifice you have to make yeah i mean flexibility most definitely is key and you both actually provided some fantastic segues to some new topic points that i that we'll chat we'll about a little bit later but also i wanted to sort of break down now what about, you think, like the courses, classroom learning or teaching styles, really anything else that you think was unique to your academic experience abroad that you felt sort of added a special value to your coursework when you came back home? And then I want to dive into a bit more into South Korea specifically.
2: Yeah, I had never had a class where my, all my lectures were in Korean, and that was a very new experience. Uh, where the professor allowed us to submit our assignments in English, but the classes would be conducted solely in Korean. And uh, that putting myself into that environment uh, and then not backing out of it was, I think, very important for me to take on that challenge. And so that was very enriching. And it came full circle when I returned to Grinnell for my fourth year of study. And I was asked... From by the language learning center to help a student lead a Korean language beginner class as a teacher, and so I think that did give me a good amount of insight into understanding the differences between absorbing Korean myself and how someone else may absorb Korean when they're learning it, and bridging those pathways uh, in a student-teacher model. I
1: can imagine. That's so impressive, his classes. Your classes were in Korean? Wow. My classes were not in Korean. They were all <laughs> <laughs> I'm so impressed right now.
0: And as it's very clear to our listeners now, you both made the decision to travel to Asia for study abroad in South Korea specifically, which also I think really shows a sort of breadth of opportunities for like various academic track that a single country can offer. Again, like kind of what Jackie was saying before, if you're just able to be flexible and put in that, all that work ahead of time, you'll be able to find the courses that fit for what you're learning. Um, whether it, you have the flexibility in Ryan's case or whether you have the stubbornness and determination on your side, Jack. And you also both identify as Asian American. So I would love to know a little bit more about how your background influenced and sort of drove you both to select South Korea and Asia in general as your country of study.
1: Yeah, so my ethnic background is I am half white, mostly Italian-American, and then I'm also half ethnically Chinese, but my family is from Malaysia. Um, And then I chose South Korea mostly because I needed a place where I could fulfill my class requirements. I also studied abroad in New Zealand right after South Korea, and it was fully because those universities had the courses I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, being, I do remember when I was little, it was just a fun side story. I was flying on Korea air back to the States from Malaysia when I was eight years old and they gave me a little notebook. And I thought that the Hangul was so cute, like the Korean alphabet. So I, that was like my first time hearing about Korea and being interested in it. But overall, mm-hmm. if they didn't have the courses I wanted, I probably wouldn't have chosen South Korea, but. how mm-hmm. about you,
0: Ryan?
2: Uh, Interestingly enough, we share another thread track in that I also studied off campus for a whole academic year. Um, I was in New York prior to South Korea. So I, my family is from Hong Kong. Um, and I was born and raised in LA, but I really didn't have a tremendous amount of interest until my senior year of high school when I was trying to learn a new language. I'd always been very interested in linguistics and language learning. And I, uh, then explored the different connections that Euclidean societies have had to one another historically um, and with language as well. And so I started self-studying the Korean alphabet and and learning the language on my own before I had gotten to college. And um, by the time I started college, I knew that I wanted to at least spend a semester there.
0: What amazing discipline that shows sort of us take upon yourself to Learn the language even prior to fully really deciding that you were going to to study abroad there. If anything, it sounds like years in advance before you even decided that I'm going to study abroad in South Korea, which is amazing. I think everyone should you know pick up languages like it's so much encouraged in other countries as well, but especially so making attempts to learn a language before you study abroad there is really always a great habit to have for sure. And could you both tell me a little bit about the expectations, or if there were any? To be frank, it's okay if there weren't but expectations or hopes or maybe even idealizations that you had for yourself for traveling to Asia as an Asian American and maybe how were your expectations contrary to what you experienced? I'm going to think about that one. Um, I do think that
1: I had a bit of concern with colorism in Asia because, uh, Asians tend to prefer lighter skin, and being an Italian American, I have darker skin, but I didn't have any issues with that. Um, so, yeah, that was okay. I do think that in New Zealand, uh, because it is predominantly white, there's a more similar um, era of racism, just given New Zealand's history as compared to like the USA, it would be like more in that sense.
2: Yeah, I, well, it wasn't my first time in Asia I'm studying abroad. Uh, I've been to Asia prior on trips and things, but nothing like this, where I'd be living there for months at a time and and fulfilling the role as a student versus maybe a tourist. Um, and I think when I was arriving there, uh, our 45th president was just elected. And so I didn't necessarily have concerns, but I just, I was Preparing myself for questions, lots of questions, lots of inquiries about my Americanness and um, how our presidential election would be tied to that was something that I was aware of.
0: And I, I really appreciate you both being so candid on these topics and issues because I think the Gilman Scholarship is very much aware that people can experience certain types of microaggressions and prejudices when they travel to different countries, especially Jacqueline. You just mentioned the whole idea of traveling to New Zealand and being aware as an Asian American. The histories of the countries and how that may affect your experience. And I'm grateful you didn't have anything ill will whatsoever. Um, but something that I think is maybe not d- discussed about as much is the pro- is um the experience of being a heritage seeker, which the Gilman Scholarship likes to use that term describing a you know, people who, um, who choose to study or travel abroad within the general geographic region or the country themselves in which they have um, ethnic and cultural links to. And one, you kind of brought up this really great kind of duality that I think people in the BIPOC community have experienced a lot, both in the U.S. as well as abroad. This kind of, kind of contrast duality that I'd love to talk about a bit more. I mean, because in the States, us three, we're kind of considered minorities first, Americans second. And then, oddly enough, when we go abroad, Especially BIPOC film and scholars have reported that the opposite experience happens, where American, once they hear us speak, is almost their fir- our first and sometimes only recognized aspect of our backgrounds environment. That seems to be a concern that you were also aware of as well. Um could you dive a bit more into that experience that you had and Jacqueline as well, if there were times where you felt that um your Americanness affected your experiences abroad and such?
2: Yeah, I think uh, mine is two-part in the sense that, and I think this links to your prior question as well. Um, as someone whose family is from Hong Kong, there was also an extra layer of uh, what does East asian look like while I'm studying Korea? What are the dynamics at play there? Just because different nations and regions within East Asia have had a long history with each other. And so there, I think there was also, for myself, a gauging of uh, not only... Having to speak for my Americanness, but if my ancestry, so to speak, was to be delved into, how do I speak for that as well while I'm in Korea? It can be difficult to separate those two, um, even when I'm abroad. Uh, similarly, in the States, uh, this conflict of uh, having to profile my ability to speak about my Asianness or my Americanness at any moment in, in the States happens. And I think it still can happen while I'm abroad. And so that was something that I had to make sure I understood about myself uh, going into a variety of contexts, whether that's in class or out in in the world.
0: And and what about you, um, Jacqueline, any experiences that you had that were similar or different? Both are are welcome.
1: I do, I remember feeling similar pressures with feeling like I had to be a representation and a spokesperson for America. But I feel like I benefited in a sense that I guess the typical American stereotypes that you hear, um, I didn't really mesh with oftentimes you hear like Americans are rude or we're overweight or we're lazy and we're loud. And, um, having grown up with two different, uh, heritages i understood the difference in like respecting cultures from a young age so i didn't run into issues with uh my americanness kind of adding to prejudices for my time
0: and i'm um, again that's that's a fantastic thing to hear so i'm grateful to i'm grateful that you didn't have to face that head on did you have any points though as you were preparing to study abroad where at least like on the more mental side like ryan was saying that you were very aware and wanted to and were i guess hyper cognizant at some points of oh wow wait i'm going abroad I i think be ready to speak about all the different heritages um and stereotypes and unfortunately come with them at certain points while i was abroad and did you prepare for that did you was it a sudden realization was it any kind of emotional or even like mental burden at times because you have those amazing identities
1: yeah, it is hard. I, it's not something that I had to mentally prepare for before studying abroad, mostly because I grew up in a predominantly white area. So I throughout my entire life, I feel like I've been uh, mentally preparing to advocate for myself and speak on behalf of the Asian community, which is a lot of pressure when you're really little, and sometimes you don't know how to be the best advocate. And so, by the time I got to being abroad, I understood that I'm representing my country as an American, but it wasn't something that I was unfamiliar with at that
0: point. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And you both have kind of touched upon this a little bit, but if there's any elaboration further that we could talk about, I'd love to dive into it more. That, you know, I think that a primary frustration that I was cognizant of, and you two obviously were as well that can come from being categorized as an American first when you're abroad. And sometimes the only identifying characteristic that people sometimes are willing to acknowledge is sort of having to combat the stereotypes that come from being an American. And not even just being an American, but I also think that sometimes there are stereotypes of being an American abroad. Those are kind of two different categories um, that I know the Gilman Scholarship does a lot of work to prepare um, scholars for of saying just be aware like these are things that we're combating of how we are in our own country let alone how we behave as tourists and such and especially startups that are often untrue especially can result in being like the most harmful and detrimental to someone's experience possibly Um did you find at any point that being labeled or being identified primarily as american had any sort of impact on your study abroad adventures either in a a negative or even a positive light where you were able to, you know, break someone's stereotypes and someone said, huh, oh, you're American, but I thought you did this way, but actually.
1: Actually, yeah. <laughs> Just when you said that, I like, I got a, yeah, like that's a Raven, like <laughs> flashback, you know, vision. Um, no, I do remember actually, but one of my roommates um, was from Europe. And I do remember that we got along really well. And one day she said to me, I think you're out of your country's league because you don't act like other Americans, you know, and she was, she was saying it like as a compliment and I took it as a compliment, but, um, it was just because there were a lot of other Americans on mm-hmm. our floor that were very loud, very rude.
0: I personally appreciate the story. I had somewhat similar experience. It's not exactly with um, with someone saying, I mean, I don't think I've ever had someone tell me like I'm out of the league for my country because, whoa, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a a, like, um, a very they heavy compliment likely. to, like, a heavy, a heavy compliment? Is that even right yeah. like to say? Yeah, it's
1: a compliment, but you're also like, whoa, what does everyone think about my country? Like, because also, what did you
0: expect of me just by default of, again, just being an American? Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, with the idea of having a, a generalized stereotype for all of America is challenging because we are a melting pot, and now we are so diverse, and there are so many people who bring so many amazing cultures to here that I just can't imagine. it. I find it confusing sometimes that there's just like one archetype that we have abroad when it's like, but we're we're, we're so more than just one type of person, right? I don't know,
1: Ryan, if you have other better experiences to elaborate on. You know? There's no better. Okay, there's different, no better. clearer, more concise.
2: <laughs> yes, there's there's certainly there's certainly no better, but um, I think I don't have a particular incident per se, but I do feel that I was always taking note of how my identity was being measured in terms of not being American, uh, because I think, and historically, this is just ultimately what it's come, come down to is that the perception of an American is white and there are a variety of reasons for that. And so despite my introduction to others as being American, they would naturally see I guess want to see through that and understand where my ethnic heritage is from. Mm -hmm. And once they identify that as well, in juxtaposition to what I mentioned earlier about the East Asian ties to the different regions there, uh, it became also a level of rhetoric that one may see in the States as well in that you're, defined by your ethnic heritage more than your Americanness to some degree. And I don't think I had any particularly negative experiences with that while I was studying abroad. It's just something that I noticed.
0: Well, I mean, and again, I'm happy to hear that there were no negative experiences really for either of you. That wasn't necessarily the point of today's conversation, more just to highlight the fact that just simply being abroad will help you to analyze and be aware of sort of the other side of that double-edged sword of, you know, we're so used to in America being labeled as sort of minorities first in most cases, and then that duality of the opposite and how that kind of can affect our relationships for, for better in some cases and whatnot. But I appreciate you both um, providing those insights and as well as personal stories. By contrast, uh, how has the experience of having your Asian ethnicity and background serving as sort of your primary identifier here in the States and simultaneously having your your ties to American culture and your American citizenship kind of put on the, the back, um, on the back burner, so to speak, affected your experience growing up in the United States?
2: Well, I know Jack had mentioned previously that in her childhood, she experienced a lot of having to advocate on behalf of her Asian-ness. Uh, and maybe, I don't want to assume, but that may be, because the area you grew up in, maybe was predominantly white. um, And I had never had to do that growing up. I was in a strange situation, I guess. I grew up in an area where the majority of people were of my heritage or of my race. And so I never had to advocate for myself. I never had to question my own identity And so when I left after high school to the rural Midwest for school, that was the first time where I was in a predominantly white space and living there. And that was the first time where I felt like I had to be more weary of confrontation in terms of when do I need to speak for myself? Um, Is there such thing as advocating for a whole group as one person? Because that's exhausting and that is just not the lived experience for everyone in this group and so i had to learn the type of that type of rhetoric as well and i had to adapt to this sort of new mindset i think that we're getting to which is how do i redefine or assess my americanness to other fellow americans and and why why do i have to do that when i am american
1: I love that we had very like we similar experiences, but also very different. For me, I remember like growing up, I was one of the only Chinese people, and I'm only half in my entire hometown. And so growing up, it was like you're Chinese, like the whole Italian side of me, whole white side of me is like ignored, and I'm just known as like the Asian person. And then for, to go abroad then, and later on, I did end up studying in China as well where I was studying Mandarin. And then for that to be completely switched and my whole life, I've been thinking, oh, I'm Chinese and feeling like I'm, I don't know. Yeah, like feeling like that's a huge part of my identity. And I remember I said, one of my teachers asked me like, oh, can you use chopsticks? And I said, yeah, I can use chopsticks. I'm half Chinese. And then she said, "You can't say you're half Chinese because your family's from Malaysia." And she didn't mean anything like harmful by that. But when that happened, I was like, "Oh!" And it really like affected my identity. And I think that's something like mixed people really can understand. Like mixed people of color is just uh, feeling like you're not anything, like you're not enough for either. So
0: it's hard. I can definitely see and recognize how. Such an experience growing up um, was difficult and confusing and how people, uh, everyone else's input and, and uh, voices impacted how you were able to view your own identity. And I think that honestly speaks somewhat also to the larger impacts of some of the negative effects of stereotyping is that we have these generalized ideas of what it means to be a part of different ethnic groups. And uh, when people fall in between those, wh- when they are from mixed backgrounds, it can feel even harder to place oneself in these larger stereotyped groups that society claims that this is how you act and look like when you're part of this group versus this group versus this group. And I really want, I, I firmly believe, and I know you, you both can probably share in this ideal that studying abroad is one of the best ways to work towards eradicating stereotypes and just creating a more understanding and globally connected world. Um, and, with, and when that happens, we, we're we able to avoid race-based violence. We're able to avoid and eradicate harmful stereotypes and microaggressions because simply the world is better edu- educated and able to appreciate and see the value of the diversity within a single person. And then of course, the diversity within all people of all different ethnic groups and religious backgrounds and sexual orientations, that whole shebang. So I guess... You know, I want to hear your thoughts and your experiences of why you think study abroad is an important and essential experience that is, I would say, key to helping to make the world a more interconnected, understanding place that hopefully will eventually be rid of the violence and stereotyping and microaggressions that come from just ignorance.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for studying abroad, specifically for this reason, Um, and then I keep going back to how I grew up, but it's a really big part of it because when you grow up being kind of like the only person of color in a predominantly white situation, um, you develop internalized racism, whether you realize it or not. And I developed that at a young age where I I like, I was getting like mocked for being Asian for at a very, I even knew that I was Chinese. People were pointing it out to me that I was Chinese. And I was like, mom, am I Chinese? And she was like, yeah. And because for me, up to that point, I just thought I was American. And then it was all complex. So I had a lot that I had to work through. And for a long time, I wanted to kind of separate myself from being Asian. And it wasn't until I got to about eighth grade and I, my parents made me enroll in like a Mandarin Chinese language course. And I did not want to do it. I was fighting them on it because I just didn't want anything I did to bring me back to the Asian side, like anything that made me different from the other kids. And so anyways, they win the fight and I have to take the Mandarin language course. And that was the first time that I had ever seen my heritage on the screen. That was when I started to feel some pride for my heritage. And then I started to question, wait, why do I feel ashamed of being Chinese? Like what is wrong with being Chinese? And then luckily, just like with the timing, a few years later, we took a trip back to Malaysia and just traveled around Asia, traveled back to Malaysia. And I got to see my cousins and my grandparents and meet more people, make more friends in different Asian countries. And then I realized that I don't really care what anyone else says anymore. Like, I'm very proud to be Asian. And for that's why I think like education and also meeting the people that you have these internal biases and prejudices against is the best way to break down that mindset
2: I think Jack's statement about where she's from I think where I was from I felt the opposite in terms of everyone was quite similar and I don't mean to say that necessarily light, but I it, it was almost too conventional for me in, in terms of Everyone was not able to or did not explore outside their confines. And so uh, I think studying abroad is something where that is pushed as a boundary in terms of connecting to other cultures, willingly putting oneself into maybe uncomfortable or new circumstances outside of what they have known their whole lives, or what may be presumed comfortable for them to be able to be complacent in. And I think the value of that type of exploration is that there, I had come to find the universalities of different cultures and also great specificities that are differences. And I think being able to connect with dots between those two things uh, enlightens a new perspective
0: um, but to conclude our episode for today, and unfortunately, yes, this is the end. And know it goes by so quickly. I first wanted to ask you both a really fun question that I'd love to end our episodes on. Um, what is a dream travel destination or international experience you'd like to have in the future once we are all vaccinated and the world is opened up again?
1: Well, I would love to go to uh, anywhere in Micronesia or Polynesia.
2: Somewhere that I would really like to visit is Cape Town, South Africa has just a wonderful, rich history and should visit if they have the chance.
0: I also want to make sure that our listeners have a chance to get in contact with both of you if they have questions or want to connect on this topic a bit further. So um, what is the best way for them to get in contact with you both?
1: Oh, so for me, like you're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn or you're, you can always contact me through the podcast. Uh, How did we not know that? So I'll put all the links in the description below to our website and our email. And yeah, reach out anytime.
2: Yeah, you can contact me via LinkedIn. Uh, my username is Hong Ryan H U-N-G-R-Y-A-N. Um, and you can also contact me via email um, at Hong Ryan H U N G R Y A N at Grinnell G-R-I-N-N-E-L-L dot Edu.
0: Well, thank you both so much for joining me for today's discussion and joining in on this episode with me, Jacqueline and Ryan. I know with your stories and the topics that we discussed today, we gave our listeners a lot to reflect upon as we all go forth in celebrating Asian American and Pacific Heritage Month. And listeners, if you haven't done so already, please, again, leave a review and subscribe, especially for our Apple Podcast listeners. And stay tuned for our first ever bonus episode releasing later this month. Till next time.